0: Welcome to City Experimenter, a podcast for future city enthusiasts and creators alike. In this episode, we interview Gene Linus and John Levy from Chicago's Open Data Platform and talk about how the implementation of their open data portal has changed their city for the better. So great. Look, um, we hear it's quite uh, quite uh, awesome and uh, been doing some, some very interesting, having interesting experiences in Chicago and And one of the great things has been really looking at the way different cities of the world are using data in terms of publishing it and building communities around data to make the cities better to to practically apply strategy and today very fortunate here with Jean and John who will be introducing themselves to talk about Chicago's open data journey where it's been, where it's at, and of course, where it's going to, and share the stories that resonate most for them.
1: So to start off, I'm going to let uh, Gene and John introduce themselves. So I'm Gene Linus. I'm a data scientist at the city of Chicago. I've been here about four years. And uh, during my time here, I've worked on a lot of different uh, predictive analytics projects that are focused on uh, optimizing city operations and improving Uh, delivery and improving the lives of our citizens, uh, improving the the delivery services. So the first thing I worked on that's gotten a lot of press is the food inspection application. So we have this this uh, situation where there were not enough inspectors to do as many inspections as we needed and they've since beefed up the staff a little little bit but the we um, developed this algorithm that would Give a prediction or give a score for each restaurant and how likely it was to have a critical violation. And so that was based on uh, past violation data, uh, er- surrounding crimes, surrounding garbage complaints or sanitation complaints, um, how long have the restaurant's been in business, and what kind of licenses they have. Like, do they have a liquor license or a tobacco license? Um, a couple other. Notable projects. Uh, we've done a predictive model for West Nile virus lately. Mm-hmm. We've also done uh, developed this thing called LeadSafe, which is a, a free API that's available for doctors and hospitals to predict whether or not their um, patients are likely to have lead poisoning between the ages of, well, prenatal uh, up until one years old is the uh, is the target. Target audience for that. Um, what am I missing, John? I feel like there's another big one. That's um, anyway. Those those are those are a few of them. But we we've, we've done quite a few different predictive modeling projects uh, like that. But it's all based on the open data that we. Uh, so I'll let John talk talk about that.
2: Sure. Uh, so I'm uh, John Levy. Uh, I run the city's open data portal, which basically involves sort of everything beginning to end, uh, working with uh, departments to identify and develop new data sets, um, getting them up there. One of our big things has been automation. One of the first, I've been doing this now for, how long has it been? I uh, can't remember, it must have been like in, about since 2012, sometimes like that's about six years now. It doesn't seem like that long, but um, basically I came at this, I'm not. Primarily from an IT background. I am, by training, uh, undergrad in biology, master's in public policy, was in epidemi- epidemiology for a while, although I have to admit, never actually finished off my, was originally going to be a PhD degree, but kind of ended up doing this instead. <laughs> so, hardly the only person in the world. Um, anyway, uh, but, so, but actually, because of that, I spent a lot of time in healthcare, public health. Uh, actually originally came to the city with the Department of Public Health. And then at this point, probably about a decade or so ago, we got moved into the city's central IT department, which opened up the opportunity to not just have to do public health things, but it was now fair game to do things for any department, sort of mentioned to my then boss, like, you know, if anything interesting ever comes up, I'd be interested in branching out a little. While later, he said, yeah, actually, uh, Daniel Demure, who at the time was starting up the open data program, has now risen to be our boss, the mm-hmm. city's chief information officer. Uh, you yeah, know, said if you use a little help on open data. You were interested. Came in, was doing that sort of part time. Things evolved a while later, and it was uh, doing it full time. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I came to this. And possibly of interest to your listeners, uh, my wife and I honeymooned in Australia and had a great time.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And this is this is very much an introductory conversation. And all things well, we can have some in depth one to one gene on mm-hmm. some of those applications you mentioned, and John on that aspect, but I was wondering if you could talk us through this portal in terms of what for you are some of the, when we feature this link, what for you are some of the key aspects of this portal? And yeah,
2: One thing would be that uh, about a little over a year ago, Mm -hmm. we moved from what had been our homepage since the time we started, which was basically just the data portal itself, Mm -hmm. to this, and one of the things, although I'm actually always curious how many people scroll down and see all of this, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. across the top here, we are featuring uh, you know some of our um, some of our data sets that we want to sort of highlight, and that's something we can just switch out on our own. Uh, then you know some things here that help you mm-hmm. one way or another find uh, data sets and by the way, we've the, got both search for our, and the categories and we had a lot of conversation when we were designing this as to whether what well, to do with categories Are categories truly useful mm-hmm. we actually did there's a um, group out of Chicago Gene uh, may need to remind me if they still exist, here, but I mean uh, the CUT group, uh, civic units are testing. Okay. They've got a whole methodology where their basic idea is they've got regular residents of Chicago they recruited who have a wide range of technical experience. Uh, and basically they what they do is they bring them out to some public place, often a public library just because it's easy to get, uh, with somebody who has a, a technology thing that they want tested in front of users. Um, and I think they compensate these people with, you know, I don't know, I, Something... $20 Visa gift card. $20 Visa gift card. There you go. And I think bus fare. So you go, okay. Um, so we actually did that one of these days. Uh, we uh, had them out to a library. We, you know, we went out there and we had them look at sort of our mock-up and say, what do you like? What do you not like? And there's a yes. whole sort of structured way of doing this. And this was actually you know, one of the questions was what to do with categories. And in particular, mm. if somebody's looking for something, first, what was their expectation about what they would find on the portal? And then even if they identified something that truly existed, could they guess the right category? And mm. In a lot of cases, no, and the, and the problem is it's never going to be solvable because yep. it's not like we think one way and the entire rest of the world thinks another way. There's mm-hmm. You could take certain data sets and you could put them into the, in any number of these categories yep. and there's just, but it has to go into one. Yes. Uh, by the way, behind the scenes there are also tags where you can actually have as many tags as you want. But at least for the moment we kept, we kept this. Um, then the key difference here yes. Yes, is. We wanted to go beyond just the portal itself, so mm-hmm. then we've got some things here. We highlight some applications that have been created. Yep. Uh, we have some information about the Data Portal, including some YouTube, links to some YouTube tutorials. Yep. Um, this here, which actually, it's another one of our automated things, uh, updates automatically whenever we publish something to um, mm-hmm. um It ends up getting repeated over here. Um, okay. And, Or uh, I have to remember what the logic is. It may be only if we have it tagged as being an open data thing as opposed to something else. Uh, And then here, um, under developer news, same general concept except it pulls from two places. Mm -hmm. First, our dev blog, Mm -hmm. uh, which is dev.citychicago.org slash blog. Secondarily, though, uh, from Socrata, is our data portal vendor, from their their, their blog. So you can actually see that each of these is noted as Source Chicago or Source Socrata. And actually... uh, yeah, we'll right down there. Okay, so they're right falling on. off. They're gonna fall because since we only have the most recent twelve, uh, if we publish a couple more things, we are gonna have we will bump them off unless they publish something. There's an um, incentive. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Um so one of the things here is that we tried to you know have it be more sort of a home page for the city's open data efforts as a whole, and even its application yeah. efforts to some degree, not just purely the data portal itself. Yes. Um and then, you know, that's probably people who are listening to this are probably, you know know, sort of know what a portal looks like. But yeah, basically we've just sort of got our, you yeah, know, we've got our data sets mm. uh, and various uh, views. We try to we try to put a pretty good emphasis, if we can, on putting hopefully pretty good metadata around yes. data sets, um, yeah. which I mean, all it, for anybody who's doing this, I mean, that will slow you down. Mm. Um, there is a substantial amount of time and there's a little bit of a trade-off between getting a lot of things out and getting a lot of metadata around things, but yeah. we try. Um,
1: yeah, I want to jump in and say yeah, something. Yeah, here. do. So when I started at the city, uh, and they, and I was told to work on the, the the food inspection thing, and I was told to use the data portal website, mm-hmm. I was a little thrown. Right. I thought, well, here I am on the inside of the city. What am I doing using the, the data portal? Don't uh-huh. I have, don't I have access to the you know the secret behind the scenes big database? Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that a lot of the users for the data portal are, are actually internal users. You know, by keeping really high quality data, keeping it updated. Having, They do a lot of the heavy lifting for the ETL for you. So a lot of times some of these data sets are very, very messy if you you try to compile the data um, manually. Mm -hmm. Uh, They come from multiple tables, Mm -hmm. but a lot of judgment has been put into making these represent actual real-life events, like representing a food inspection, representing a building inspection, representing a specific complaint and its resolution. Whereas if you wanted to get that data, you would have to write a SQL query that would hit, that would hit many different tables. Yes. And so, I I want that's one thing I want the world to know, is how much value is in here for internal and external uh, audiences.
2: Thank you. Appreciate that. And actually, one as a jumping off point, there one of the things that occurs to me. We have a number of things that we try to do. Um, well, you have to to some degree. We actually try to be careful about transformations and curation. Uh, we do very little cleaning of data. And what we do, we try to be pretty public about what we're doing. Because um, I think the problem is, as soon as we start to clean something, we're having to apply our own judgment. And somebody else might have different judgment. Um, so. Um, a lot of times, you know, what we try to aim for, more or less, is you see what we see, with some obvious exceptions. Uh, clearly, for privacy reasons, there are things we've got access to that we're not going to publish to the portal and things yes. like that, um, but as a general rule, uh, I and mean, one of the examples is one of my favorite data sets, although, unfortunately, right at the moment, it hasn't been updated in a while because of the data problems, but hopefully soon, is all the taxi rides in the city of Chicago. Sure. Uh, we actually put up a blog post about that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, So we paid a lot of attention there to privacy and we described some yep. of what we did on privacy. Uh, but one of the other things was we described in some cases where we felt like we had to transform data a bit because there were some just plainly ridiculous things in there. Uh, Ten million dollar taxi trips, um, <laughs> things that are clearly data errors. Um, and. Even at that, I probably would have left them in. And the main reason we didn't is because we've got some visualizations around it. And the problem was that just completely messes up your scaling and you just can't see the real stuff. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we, we set some still very generous uh, limits. Uh, and one of the things, for example, was on distance. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you see something like a 900-mile taxi ride. Mm-hmm. And that can't be right. Except for the fact you know we ended up talking, actually, to somebody we know who actually used to drive a taxi. Who said, like, oh, yeah, I once had a guy who paid me to drive him to New York. From it's like oh, okay, actually, maybe this is a real taxi ride. Yes. Um, so basically, cause we had to draw a line somewhere, and because you know we're always looking to be like have kind of a little bit fun, at least I actually went and and tried to figure out what is the farthest point from Chicago you could drive uh, and still be within the continental United States, um, and came up with um, the very tip of uh, like a peninsula of Alaska or something, <laughs> oh, which, which by the way I don't know. Technically, is that kind of all the United States, or because it's separate? I mean, Yeah, I don't know. But at least you could drive to. We were not going to do Hawaii because you clearly can't drive there. No. Um, but regardless, um, so basically we said, okay, that's our cutoff. Kind whatever that distance was, I that's think it's maybe five thousand miles or something. That's the longest taxi trip we will support. Okay. Um, but for the mo- but we also wanted to be transparent about what we've done. But for the most part, we try to pretty much leave it alone. And one of my other things that I tend to say to people is, open data is messy data. Uh, mm-hmm. You will. If you look through it, you'll find some strange things because in any real-world system, and this isn't just government, and I'm sure it's private sector as well, if you look at you know, millions of records or something,
1: some of them are going to be a little funny. Yes. okay? Or wrong. I mean, oh, yeah. stuff is wrong. And yeah. it's that's just data, sometimes data is wrong. I mean, we've all experienced it. I mean, you know, seen it on bank statements. You yeah. see it you know, in places where there's a lot of checking, there's still errors. Yeah. Right. And it's funny, you know, I've, I've, I've heard the pushback where people say, well, what if we publish something and it's not right? I mean, to my knowledge, it's never been a problem. I mean, because I think people who are ingesting the data know enough about how to uh, make it, put in their own safety checks for their own purposes. Yep.
2: Yeah. And, um, and that has worked out better than I feared at first. I mean, I didn't know how it was going to go over. I found the open data community is generally very forgiving. We've had times when, Everything will go wrong sometimes. You know, we've had some moderately major errors in data, and somebody, including even from the press, mm-hmm. will notice it. But rather than writing a story to nail us, we'll mm-hmm. this drop us an email and say, "Hey, by the way, did you realize such and such is going on?" Yes. And we say, "Oh yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, let's go fix that." Yes. Um, so, and that's I think the way you'd want things to be. And we get a fair number of uh, cities or whatever that are looking to start up open data programs that mm-hmm. want to know how to. How to start up, and what advice we have, and you know, one of them is automate if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, sort of tongue in cheek, what I tell them, because there's this, you'll know, get this concern for, potentially from internal users, although they've actually been a lot more um, into this than I expected when I first came to this. Of like, you know, well, if we put this out, is this going to reflect badly on us, or whatever is, is going to bite us. So you know, basically, you know, my tip is develop 10 years of experience of being able to tell people this hasn't bitten us yet. <laughs> but of course, you can't bootstrap. Ten years of experience. No. What I have told them though is that they can they can say like, I talked to Chicago. They've been out this a long time. They're pretty high profile, and this has not blown up in their faces yet. Uh, they've had things that were wrong, but fine. They dealt with them. It has not become a crisis.
0: That's really interesting, and I want to just come on something that was covered by both Gene and you, John. We talked earlier on at lunch about data and perspective, right? But the the other aspect of Data is the relationship aspect I'd like to get your feedback on because you mentioned the cab drivers. Now for the taxi data set to exist we're relying on the people doing the rides to share the data properly, right? Aren't
2: we not? What it actually, uh, the way it actually works in Chicago is there are two major payment processing companies that run that, that hardware and software that you'll see in all the cabs. Okay. Um, they are actually the ones that send us the data.
0: For me, in terms of data, the, the relationship aspect is key because you'd want to have these relationships with these people creating the data that's required, like whether that's the restaurants in terms of how many different aspects. And then would you not say the other aspect is building the community, which is very timely given we were just over lunch talking about our user meetup groups and we were just yeah. talking about the the data made hack weekly hack night. So wondering if you could, yeah, just talk us through what your take is
1: on relationships from an open data? data. yeah, you know, I wouldn't Perfect. mind saying just that, like with the food inspection app, this was a big deal, and we reached out to the director of food inspections who actually talked to uh, a restaurant association and made sure before we were publishing it what the reaction was going to be, and by and large it was pretty positive. I mean, we weren't, we're not giving a real-time feed on the actual um, scores. But we do have the code out there that people can generate their own scores. Mm-hmm. There's one variable that's missing, so they can't get the exact same score that we get. But they can they can get it historically for a cert, for one specific time period, mm-hmm. and they can uh, get a sense for what it should be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, we we did a fair amount of outreach to make sure that it would be okay, and it's it's. Was pretty interesting to me. There's absolutely no pushback that I've heard at all from anybody. Nobody was upset about it. Nobody felt like they're being targeted. Nobody felt like we were being unfair to certain communities. Because, what does it mean to send out more inspectors to a community? We're not cracking down on them. We're we're helping them. Yep. And so either way, we're not we're not doing something that's hurting anyone. Yes. You know, we're just trying to target uh, likely critical violations. Yep. Um. Yeah, but the community aspect is very interesting. Um, John, I don't know if you want to talk about the Hack Night.
2: Well, I mean, I think we've been really fortunate in Chicago Mm -hmm. to have Hack night. and one of the things I really always like to emphasize about that is while the city of Chicago is a major participant in it, it is not a city of Chicago event. It it is organized by the community itself. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think that's huge. I I think Mm -hmm. it is not, you know, it's not a city thing. Um, So, but I mean, that's been great. And I don't go all that often. I go from time to time, and it's mostly just because of schedule. Um, but it, it's been useful, and it's been useful having people in the community that you can sometimes bounce things off of to say, you know, what would you think if we were to do such and such? And one of the one of our I think fairly explicit use cases is we will sometimes put data out that may even still be a little raw, mm-hmm. uh, and c- rather than the city having to come along and create some app on top of it, which costs money, yes, um, basically somebody out in the civic community will create it. Uh, yeah. and probably the best example is it, it predates my time. Uh, But every year we—it's always funny. In in any city, it's the little things that affect people's lives that they care about. Yes. Uh, So here in Chicago, during the months of I believe April and November, the Department of Streets and Sanitation comes out periodically and sweeps the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, On the day they're going to sweep the streets, you have to get your car off that side of the street, or else you'll get a ticket and they won't be able to sweep in that spot. Uh, All of us who own cars in Chicago have every once in a while you mess up and you get a ticket. So this is something you try to avoid. Um, and they do post a day or two before, but the schedule is actually known at the beginning of the season. Mm. So what we do is we put it out on the data portal, and as a human being, you could understand it. I mean, it, it's you know, even if you have no technical background, it's not that cryptic, but it's not the most user-friendly thing. But there's this guy, uh, Scott Robin, who has created this app called Sweeparound.us, Sweeparound.us, that as a private resident, I subscribe to, where basically it ingests this and then creates this really nice page where you can put in your address, And I'll tell you, okay, these are the days that your street's going to be swept. And if you want, send you an email a day before, a week before, send you a a text message or whatever. So basically, we're putting out just the data. And somebody else is coming along and putting the nice interface on top of it at zero cost to the taxpayers.
0: Fantastic. And I wanted to, I guess, and I'm mindful of time because we talked about it, two aspects. And certainly we can elaborate on them in future conversations. And these two things are, one is the sharing of data and I'll elaborate just very quickly on that. And the second is the measuring the value of open data, right? Mm-hmm. I'd like to start with sharing of data because you mentioned there's a bunch of apps and what's the protocol or etiquette or conversation with these apps on sharing the data that they generate with the city? Okay, so say, uh, sweep around US is generating data based on the kind of requests and pools. Mm-hmm. Is there an etiquette for them to then share that data back to the city?
2: Uh, what's not, your thoughts around that that? around more...
0: sharing of data? It's not the other data. No, it's the apps data. But could the so, city not benefit from that?
2: I haven't really thought about it. I mean, it, mm. I mean, as far as I know, there isn't any standard on that. Or what tends to be, mm. it's a little bit of an aside, what tends to be more of an issue. Is sometimes we have paid city apps uh, that are run by some third party vendor, and especially when we need it for open data, sometimes there have to be negotiations to get your own data back. But mm. um, and so all i mentioned there is like just for anybody, I mean, I think we've gotten better about it. When you write contracts, make sure that you've got rights to your own data. That's so, right,
1: um, that's absolutely right. Yeah. For any open data program, mm-hmm. you critically need to make sure that you have specifically spelled out that your data is free to be returned and how it gets returned. Because yeah. it's, it's a resource hog to, like you can't ask them to basically generate reports for you. Because yeah. that would incur expense on their behalf. But you have to say something like, "Oh, we want a nightly backup of the whole database, or we want access to all the tables, or we want API level access, or we want SSH access to your server," like that kind of thing. You need to you need to be specific because otherwise, they will play games with you and make it difficult for you to get your own data back. Sorry, John. Yeah. No. Yes.
2: So that's. Uh, but as far as what you were talking about, it hasn't come up, and I don't know. We haven't really thought about it. If it did come up, I guess I'd want to look at it a little bit situationally, but I'd be, I'd want to be cautious. People rightly get concerned about the government, and I don't necessarily want them to have to worry if they go to Sweet US or whatever that somehow the city is tracking them. Like I don't even know what somebody would be worried about, but you know, mm. like oh, are they whatever? Can they identify my car and come looking for my car? Or do they? Um, I, I don't know, but people yeah, can, yeah. people get worried about various things, so. I would want to be cautious about that.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, so, I would think we couldn't really do anything with it because it's not our... I mean, we could make an agreement, but, yeah, I don't think there's there's anything we want there, and I don't think okay. it would be appropriate for us to republish it. Right. I yeah. can't think of something I mean, like I can
2: that. imagine you could you could think of things where you could start to detect what are people interested in, uh, which maybe helps you figure out what, as a city, you should be doing more of. Uh, as an example... There you go. Some of our earliest data sets were actually the Freedom of Information Act laws. So I'm not sure how international this is, but basically in federal government, and most states in the U.S., there are laws basically saying that data, broadly speaking, belongs to the public, and you can request it under law, you can request it from the government and they have to give it to you. It's a lot more complex than that, but that's basically it. So uh, what we have is every department has a log of of the requests that they've received. so one of the things we had an intern do once was kind of look, do on a more formal basis what we've done informally, is kind of look through here because because part of what we'll do is we'll see like if the same data is being requested over and over through a Freedom of Information Act request, maybe that's a good signal
1: we should just put it up on the data portal and then people don't have to bother. Mm-hmm. Um, we save money on publishing it and the, right. the FOIA officer doesn't have to handle it.
2: We, we've, had, we've had some wins there. One of them, and I'm not sure we've necessarily quantified this, which may go to your next thing, but... Um, yeah. The Department of Public Health, basically because they inherited them through an went through a departmental merger, has a bunch of property records about, you know, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but in essence, like, you know, uh, environmental hazards that existed on properties over the course of time or whatever, I don't know, if there used to be, I don't know, a tank from a gas station, I'm not sure, uh, nobody quote me on any specifics, <laughs> but, you <in laughs> um, uh, that, they would get foia for a lot. My understanding is it would be primarily attorneys involved in property transfers who need to do their due diligence. Um, they used to, this used to be actually quite a big FOIA load because they got a lot of these requests. We put them up on the uh, data portal, and those FOIA requests basically went away because the attorneys just started going to the data portal. Right. So win for the attorneys because they can get their information much quicker. It's a win for the city of Chicago because they don't have to dedicate somebody's time to pulling these records and sending them. You know, that's, you know.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And and that does bring me to this this final principle for today, which is open data costs money, right? To, to pay Socrates, portal and, and right. all these things. And and that is, in theory, potentially one of the blockers for why so many cities in, in Australia, again, now I'll, I'll put an Australian concept, know about it, are aware about it, but perhaps they don't know necessarily how do we go about one, identifying the high-value data sets, that's its own story, but two, how do we go about measuring and justifying to our various stakeholders, maybe other competing departments, the value that's being generated by having this open data program? So I'm wondering, in terms of Chicago, how have you gone about? I mean, you have a public apps dashboard, great, and some exemplars. Could you talk us through what your thinking is and practical things you've implemented in terms of measuring the value of an open data program?
2: You know, we don't have a ton. Um, We've sort of thought about it over the years, Mm. and it's it's hard to measure, I think, in a few ways. You know, we can point to some anecdotes like the fire reduction, and often if we're working with a department, you know, we might hit some of those things that, you know, uh, it will may reduce your FOIL load, it may do various things like that, uh, because it co- has some cost to them. And by the way, as far as partnerships, one of the things I meant to mention is we have really good partnerships with the internal departments, and that is also critical. Yes. Uh, because, you know, what do I know about a business license? Mm-hmm. Not much, you know, there's no way that, I mean, that one actually predated me, but like, there's no way I get something like that up in any sort of an intelligible way unless somebody in that department can explain to me what I'm looking at. Um, yeah. So, um, So we can, pitch some things like that. Certainly, there are quality of life things. Certainly, uh, to the extent we can feed it into some of these predictive analytics, I mean, there you may be able to quantify, you know, what we've done, how we've made things. Yeah, about that's pitching. true. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. If we, um, I mean, if we can, if we can prevent one or two children from not being lead poisoned, I mean, what's the value of that? You yeah. Know, that's that's uh, tremendous. Or you know, even for that mm-hmm. matter, if you can totally totally yeah, uh, you
2: know, if it leads to more. I mean, some of the things you're doing potentially lead to. Uh, more efficient tax collection or might lead to more efficient routings of inspectors or you know, things like that that you can probably put a dollar value on. Um, we always talk about economic development. We've had a hard time measuring it. I think we sort of know and believe intuitively that you put this data out there and it is useful. Uh, part of the thing is we've basically never been able to identify companies that we you know, like were built on open data. I mean, Maybe in the tech space, a little bit, places like a data made, maybe sort of. Um, I think the theory we come up with is hardly anybody is just like, unless they're an open data consultant, is in the open data business, but there's a lot of companies for whom it's one input among many. Yeah. Uh, one of our examples is there's, for the building permits, um, there's this woman from this company down in Texas, I think, and I think what they do is they sell construction equipment or something. Quite cleverly, it sounds like one of the things they've done is they hit our building permits data set every morning to see, okay, well, if you've applied for a building permit, chances are somewhere down the road you're going to need some equipment. Maybe this is a sales leak. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and if the data set happens not to update one morning, which happens from time to time, usually by, you know, 930 in the morning, we've heard from her because apparently it sounds like this is part of her morning process is to check yeah. our data for Right. So clearly, this is one small thing into her business. Now, in that case, I guess we're fertilizing the business of Texas, not Chicago. But whatever. <laughs> That's... Um, but then the final one for me, and this is going to be me personally and getting a little Pollyanna-ish, is I always want to be careful about this because what what dollar value do you put on democracy? I mean, sure. part of what we're up to is transparency. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how to quantify that, but I believe that it's valuable.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll give you Jim? another really short answer. So, the um, if you asked me to value how much Google Search w- w- was worth, and it wasn't a publicly traded company, I wouldn't know how to value that. I would say, well, it seems pretty valuable, you know. Turns out, it's extremely valuable, yeah. and we have a market value to prove it. Yes. Um, you know, making data available and making it open and easy to find and organized. Uh, yeah, I think it adds tremendous value and i think it's it adds value in so many different little ways that i think it's really difficult to accumulate them all there's probably someone who has <laughs> that person might be the better one to ask but um, yeah you don't it's hard to it's hard to estimate where data is going to be used and how and how valuable it's going to be
2: yeah well and it's part of it goes back to i mean just even valuing government at all is difficult because I mean, if you're Google, you're right. I mean, they do a lot of other stuff that actually I think is, is probably valuable. In the world. Sure, but, sure. But beyond that, but it, yeah, you know, it's a for-profit company. You can, you know, you quantify it in dollars.
1: You can even um, just look at the search part.
2: You look know, at search, but you can also you know you can look at return to shareholders or whatever. Like that's sort of what a for-profit pro- business is after. Like we're not about money, so it's hard to tell. I remember, I mean, thinking back to my public health days, you know, there was a discussion that it's how do you how do you put a value on public health? Um, I mean, it's tough, especially because, and this comes up even with some of our stuff, some of it is, you know, that outbreak you didn't have last year, that's because of us. In mm-hmm. the first place, you don't know for sure that you didn't have that outbreak, but you know over the course of 100 years that you didn't, you, know, you didn't have a certain number of outbreaks. And then what's the dollar value of not having that outbreak, although maybe that you can quantify. So it's a, it's a problem in government, I think, in general. It's, and that's part of why I was pushed back a little bit against trying to be held to for-profit world standards, since that's not our world. Yeah. Yep. Uh, no. At the same time, we are very aware of the idea that we are spending taxpayer money, and you know, we have to be careful with it. We have to be responsible with it, and I think we are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the overhead on the open data is actually pretty low. It is. I mean, it's your salary and whatever we pay Socrata, as far as I know. I mean, it's, it's not much more. Pretty much it. It's not much more beyond yeah. that. Um, if you want to know my salary,
2: it's up in the open data pool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So yes, mine, mine, mine as well. <laughs> um, yeah. So the you know the two different ways you create value are you know actually creating value and reducing cost. I mean I do think it does reduce cost. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to put a number on it though.
0: Great. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing, guys. And there is so much in this world, like as in this this world of open data and and how it touches on, so well, everything, right? And we keep talk, hearing this word of evidence-based policy and really getting policy to be far more agile. And right. And open data is, is a great tool for enabling that because when we can see what people are wanting and perhaps one of the best ways to practically implement policy is to actually look at what are the data sets that right. will support it and get the community around it so there are many, many things. It will be great to continue this on. But for today, I'd like to thank both of you for all of these insights. And what, of course, we'll be doing is, or myself and and uh, close colleagues, okay. is summarizing this, sharing this with you beforehand. And obviously you'll be posted and and kept great. abreast on that journey. But yes, thank you very much for this time. and. The inaugural episode of the City Experimenta podcast is here live from the city of Chicago and uh, the, one of the offices of city of Chicago. We have an office that, there's a office oh, in, we have several, city, offices. several offices at City Hall, but we are here on the South State Street premises and we will, we will keep coming to you with more insights around the future of cities and how data enables that future and finally just uh, once again big thanks to gene and john gene full name
1: oh gene linus
0: gene linus john levy john levy great and speak again soon thank you for listening to this episode of city experimenter brought to you by 99 Aha. a half